right, good morning, everybody, and welcome. It is episode 176 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. Today is Tuesday, August 16th. I hope you're ready for a good one today. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Ozier, and over the next 30 minutes, but closer to 45, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day and what it means to you so you can like operationalize it as a practitioner or if you're looking to break into the industry you're definitely going to be asked in job interview how do you stay current and this is just a fantastic answer a lot of good people in here too i don't normally say it in the morning intro but chat's always pumping a um, lot of inclusion a lot of support so say hi say what's up in chat you definitely want to uh, be part of the community shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor this guy right here and his whole team, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber, excuse me, Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and more importantly, get your business back on track. Go to barricadecyber.com to set up a meeting with Eric. It's just, it's a simple calendar invite. You set it up, you get on the call. Here's what I do. Here's how we handle ransomware, which is probably not good if you're calling Eric, but you know what? It's awesome. It's awesome. Cause then you have it as like a break glass in case of emergency. And you definitely, I'm telling you right now, people, if you're dealing with an active incident, an active adversary in your environment, actively encrypting your stuff, you are going to be acting like your hair is on fire. If it's a first first rodeo. All right. So definitely want the experience of someone like Eric and his team to help you out with that. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications like CISSP, CISM, CISA, GIAC, really any of the cybersecurity certifications, you'll have to check the policies, but all the ones I've looked at have qualified. Each episode like this one of the Daily Cyber Threat Brief is worth half a CPE. Doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? Well, it stacks. So that's two and a half a week, 10 a month. Be sure to say what's up in chat. Either say, you know, just engage in chat. Like, what's up? How you doing? Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm coming from. I'm in San Antonio. I'm in Bulgaria. You know, say where you're at. Or just say hashtag team life. Either way, by saying something in chat, you are basically signing in to the meeting and it's auditable evidence. I'd recommend if you are going to document this, uh, do it once a month and just say daily cyber threat brief. Maybe put a little uh, description of what it is. You could put a link to the streams uh, and say uh, 10 CPEs. They, they don't mind if you bulk them. It's, in fact, it's easier for the auditors to just do a bulk than it is for them to do like 50 half CPEs. If you are live with us, love it. Let's check the head count. We are at 84 on Simply Cyber channels probably around 20 or 30 coming in on LinkedIn and various other channels. So we're over 100. Love it, love it, love it. Thank you so much for being here. You guys know, know the rules. Just have a good time. It's all about good times up in here. If you're watching on replay, definitely make sure you comment, okay? Because you want to get that credit too. Hashtag team replay is always a safe backup plan. Uh, you guys got your own, your own squad going on over there. Thanks for catching the stream. Now, if you want to jump right to the news, and you're watching on replay, you have the benefit of time travel. You can just grab the slider, pull it to the right. You can, if you're listening on your audio podcast app of choice, just push the plus 30 seconds a couple times and you are getting mushed in the face with cyber news. But like usual for the next, I don't know, 90 seconds, 120 seconds, I am going to be super excited to sip this French rose coffee over here and say good morning to each of you 
Let's get into it. Thank you so much for being here. How we doing? Hey, Josh Mason. Good to see you. Missed you out at Black Hat DEF CON. Got a new, some merch. I was a merch. Did a little walk around the business hall. This is Zero Fox, if you've ever heard of them. Their product was confusing to me because I didn't understand it. So I sat for the demo. They said, hey, you want one of these shirts? I said, let me see it. I said, ooh, look at this. It's like kind of like graffiti, like thrown up graffiti. Kind of reminds me, reminds me of my college days. Not that, not that I was like throwing graffiti, but I do I do think it's cool. All right, what's up, Usher? What's up, Team Live? Hey, LinkedIn user, B. Cole. Lacey Cochran, the fourth, my man, Luis. What's up? No, the compute new computer. It's right. It's right there. I started putting it together, but it's not. It's not uh, plug and play. I have to put a new um, Elgato uh, capture card inside of it. I have to put 32 more gigs of RAM. I got to set up my audio, which guys like my audio, right? So I didn't want to screw with it. Maybe today. Hey, Dan Reardon. Hey, Ethel. Good to see you, Raymond. BSEC up in here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Throwing, throwing. I got a Sharpie. I'm marking up stop signs while I'm waiting for the Uber. What's up, Tom Bishop? Good to see you. Good to see you, Nathan Bolin. Hey there. Not only IT. Always nice. Always nice. Forensics, man. Oh. Uh, I'm going to try to say it, but guys, um, right. I'll say it right now, but we can remember. Uh, yesterday, right after stream, um, I... I was on Twitter or whatever, and Matt Keeley, who I don't know, but he he made the practical malware and analysis and triage class on Cyber Mentor Academy. And by the way, like PMA, practical malware analysis, the textbook, um, it's like the seminal work in the space on malware analysis. It's red. It's got an alien being dissected on the cover. It's like everyone knows it, okay? If you're interested in malware analysis, that book is considered like the seminal work. The problem is that book is dated. It's very old, right? And our industry moves wicked quick. Well, Matt actually released an up, like basically a course that's supposed to be like that course plus, you know, newer stuff and everything like that. So they're doing it for a dollar. I said, okay, what the hell? I'll buy it. That's cool. Support it, shared it out. Heath was like, oh, he saw it later. He's like, oh, I'm wicked inspired. I'll sell PEH, which by the way is like an awesome, awesome class. In fact, I think maybe, maybe in the description below, there's actually a link that's an affiliate link, but I think there's a description to PEH on the, on the stream. Anyways, I was like, hell, this is awesome. Like, I love the idea between the dollar, behind the dollar and a dream. So I created a new coupon code for the GRC Analyst Masterclass and set it to run for the same length of time as their coupon code. So now you can get P Practical Malware Analysis, Practical Ethical Hacking, GRC Analyst Masterclass, which I probably could have called Practical GRC Analyst. And then um, Christoph Folson, uh, I, I didn't look at it, but they have like a cybersecurity class on their, on their thing that they're doing for a dollar. So I'll drop links later, but right now is a really cool time uh, to stack up some uh, training, get ready for the winter. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and if folks in folks in chat know what I'm talking about, um, you know, share that with each other. I, I don't have access to the links or anything right now, but hopefully everybody's good. Let me get my mod chat up since uh, I was coming in hot again this morning. I didn't even get the French press. I, I will tell you this, guys, being a complete nerd. I do have like Starbucks French roast K cups available as my contingency plan if I don't have the actual time because it takes me about 14 minutes to make a French press. So uh, this is French roast. It's just in the K cup format. Ah, oh, so good, so good, so good. Good to see you, Eric. Okay, Will Reed's here. Let's get started. Will Reed's here. <laughs> Let's get started. Hold on one second. Let me check mod chat. Mod chat's up. Oh, uh, there he is. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, guys. Let's get into the news. Thank you so much. 
me turn off this music. Let me do this. Let's uh, let's have a good time this morning, y'all. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Chat app used as a backdoor. Two different security reports came out over the weekend detailing how the threat actor Lucky Mouse, also known as APT27, used a trojanized version of the messaging app Mimi as a backdoor across Windows, macOS, and Linux. Both Sequoia and Trend Micro found Lucky Mouse modified Mimi to install the Hyperbro Trojan, resulting in a cross-platform exploit. Targets appeared limited to individuals in Taiwan and the Philippines. Sequoia advises that macOS targeting makes this Trojan particularly interesting and could be used to target a broader swath of people. Okay, a couple things here. Um, wow. Like, this seems like, a, I mean, when this story first popped up, I was like, ah, whatever. Like, this will be a, a skipping stone in today's CISA, uh, cyber news. But actually, this one's kind of interesting to me. Um, so, Lucky Mouse used compromised Mimi Chats app. So, a couple things. This is how threat, threat actors are using chat apps. And I see, like, Telegram all the time. Threat actors are using chat apps both for engaging public community or non-criminal community, right? So like you see a lot of ransomware threat groups have uh, telegram channels where they like post out uh, information that they want the public to know, right? Eric Taylor uh, is in chat. He can definitely comment on that. So, but another thing you can do is you can set up bots, right? Bots, are, everybody loves a bot, right? Oprah, Oprah emote, please. You love a bot, you love a bot, right? Listen, so everybody's got bots. Well, you could set bots up in, in, in these chat apps and then you can have malware basically kind of used that as c2 infrastructure right or like uh basically engaged to get commands so then you can go into the chat app and say like you know whatever uh finkelstein whatever like whatever code words you have and then the bot will know okay like i need this is telling the command so when someone when another bot basically checks in i can give it the commands appropriately etc okay so they're using this mimi chat app to do that now um that that's how I understand it, but they're maybe they're using it um, to actually compromise devices. Because now I'm looking at the title of the story. It seemed to me it's going to go that that they were using it as part of the communication. Um, oh, okay. So they're actually. I'm sorry. What I just said about communication and, and the bots and all that—that that is absolutely true. But what I guess what they're using here is they're using this chat app as an infection point into. Uh, workstations because they're targeting Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Um, APT27, I'm not, I, I'm not 100% sure, but if it's called Emissary Panda, it's China, right? That's FireEye and Mandiant's um, naming convention. They use uh, bears, based, or not bears, but panda, um, uh, typically to indicate China. Um, this Hyper Brothers, Hyper Bro, I do like, I do like that name, honestly. Good, good name for a, uh, <laughs> good name for a logo. Um, I guess the, the the TLDR for this one, um, it's interesting. Be mindful, but I think that there's an opportunity here. The fact that it can target Windows, Mac, and Linux. A lot of people have this like mistaken belief that Linux is vulner uh, invulnerable. Some some people have come around on understanding that Mac OS can be attacked, but still, there's a lot of Apple uh, people out there who think that. Apple is completely safe. Like it's not, it's not breakable from a security perspective, and it's just not true. This is a good example where, um, you know, you could point to this and say this is an advanced persistent threat, right? This is 
a well-backed nation-state threat actor, and they are able to compromise basically any operating system. Um, so be mindful of that. There are some advisories in here. This is the Trend Micro one. Um, it probably gives TTPs to look out for. Yeah, this is a nice little write-up, very technical. You can see they've got the um, the the JavaScript code uh, deobfuscated, which is nice. Usually, usually JavaScript's all obfuscated, which totally sucks. You can see this is obfuscated a bit. Actually, not really. This isn't obfuscated. All right. Anyways, long story short, be mindful of that. If by the way, if you're if people are running Mimi chat app in your environment, you definitely want to investigate that. But I, my suspicion is that that is probably more uh, in China. Uh, Asia areas than it is in um, the United States, which is really more of my focus. PyPy package drops crypto miner. A malicious module named SecretsLib got released on the Python package index on August 6th. It was described as a module designed for secrets and matching verification made easy. Security researcher Ak Sharma disclosed that the module covertly runs a crypto miner directly in RAM on Linux machines, executing a Linux executable retrieved from a remote server. This left no fingerprints of crypto mining activity. The party behind the package used the identity and contact info for a software engineer at the Argoni National Laboratory to lend credibility to the module. The module was downloaded 93 times prior to being removed. Okay, so this is this is kind of fun. PyPy is a well-known Python uh, package manager. I, I, I can't remember exactly what it is. Like when I use Python, it's me just hacking around, screwing around. Um, reliving the glory days springsteen style uh so i can't remember exactly but i know it is a very popular one um it sounds like this individual very cleverly uh baked in a crypto miner that runs in ram so it's it's fileless essentially right um clever very clever this story basically it just indicates and shows that open source software can be easily tampered with. I do appreciate that they were able to catch it. Who, whoever they are, I didn't hear because I was trying to actually find a story because the one that CISO series provided actually didn't come up. Um, I don't know how they caught it, but we've talked on the show that there are multiple initiatives backed by big tech, right? So Facebook, Amazon, Google are, are backing initiatives with real money, like hundreds of millions of dollars in order to provide a bit more security when it comes to um, open source software supply chain, like, you know, digital supply chain, if you want to call it that. Um, and this may be part of why this only lasted. 93 downloads, guys, is not a lot of downloads, right? Like typically when you hear about like, you know, compromised open source software, NPM recently and stuff like that, it's typically like, you know, hundreds of thousands of downloads and PyPy is a pretty well-known package. So the fact that it was only 93 before they caught it is pretty interesting. Oh yeah, you can see they called it fileless right here also. Um, fileless, just I'll say this really quick because this is good for people who are new or getting in. Like fileless uh, makes it so it basically just runs in RAM. It makes it much more difficult for detection tools, uh, defense tools, EDRs to detect that it's running or because it's never written to disk it's there's never any like file creation file access none of that crap is happening um so you know like those steps that would detect that aren't noticing you'd have to actually start looking at um maybe maybe running processes maybe c2 traffic because if it is pumping out stuff not c2 excuse me network traffic if it is doing uh crypto mining and grinding it's going to send 
whatever it's grinding on out to um, the service in order to get qualified on the blockchain or to push to the person's uh, crypto infrastructure or whatever. So whatever, there, there are ways to catch it. It's just, you know, that's what Phyllis is. So it's good, good little uh, term to throw around. Access to corporate networks sees a value dip. According to the security firm KELA, dark web markets selling initial access to corporate networks saw a significant dip in Q2. While the average listings per month remained flat compared to Q1, the average price for initial access fell 50% to $1,500, while the median dropped from $400 in Q1 to $300 in Q2. KELA suspects two factors at play for this. One is the significant disruption in the workings of large-scale threat actors, like DarkSide, Conti, and Lapsa shutting down, yeah. and LockBit and Hive reducing overall volume of activity. This is paired with a new trend in threat groups increasingly targeting mid-sized companies, which offer a balance of lower risk while still offering significant financial reward. Okay, so this one is actually interesting. I, okay, so access to hack corporate networks still strong, but sales fall. Okay, sales being threat actors selling to other threat actors, illegal access. Okay, that's what the sales are. It really, bought, like Eric Taylor kind of keyed me off to this and now it pisses me off as well. Like it didn't piss me off before, but now I got infected like zombie bit by Eric Taylor. And now it pisses me off. Like when threat actors call their victims clients and when they report on their sales numbers, it's like, you're not a business. You're a criminal enterprise. I get that you're operating like a business, but for Christ's sakes, you are a criminal. Like stop with your Q1 sales numbers. You, you can't, you don't get to pretend to be a legitimate business. Okay. So when I saw this, when I saw this, my initial thought was this isn't sales are falling because threat actors that are specifically pushing into industry and saying, Hey, um, specifically wizard spider, AKA Conti ransomware group. They based on the Conti leaks papers, which you can read in a summarized fashion at Krebs You have to Google it. Cause he did a five part blog series on it. If you look at it, basically they had pushed out and said, hey, we need initial access into environments. If you work at these environments, right? So like, let's say, let's say Joel Belton, right? Joel Belton's ice cream shop. Someone works there and they're making like $17 an hour and they don't like it. And, and Joel's, you know, like you're not scooping the ice cream, right? Like they're just kind of disgruntled right? They get, they see this from Conti and it says, Hey, like if you just give us access to your VPN credentials and move out of the way, we will give you 10% of whatever ransomware money we get from Joel Belton. And Oh, by the way, we know that you guys have cyber insurance. We know that we're probably going to get like $125,000. That's a $12,000 payday for you. Give me your VPN creds and get the hell out of my way. And lots of people did it, right? Well, the, the market demand to use a business term, the market demand for that initial access uh, creds and the value of, you know, 10%, 8% of whatever of a huge payday is no longer there. Those criminal enterprises have basically dissolved. Now there is some rumor that Conti has kind of like resurfaced some of the, um, leadership, uh, in the, in hive. But if you look, department of justice just released, um, not maybe it was department of justice. Somebody just released, maybe the FBI, like pictures of, one of the people who's running Conti or was running Conti and they have um, four people that of interest that in like $10 million leading to their uh, arrest and stuff like that. So the heat is on. Okay. So obviously they've scaled back their operations to me. That's why sales have fallen. It's not because we have better defense, 
right? They cite in the story that multi-factor authentication is getting implemented and that's what's causing uh, a greater rollout. I, you know, with all due respect, yeah, let's get MFA numbers up. Let's pump those numbers, right? Those are rookie numbers. But in my opinion, it's because there isn't a market demand on the other end, on the criminal side, requesting this access. So people are just sitting on compromised creds um, or they, you know, they did data breaches and stuff like that and they've got creds. They're sitting on them and no one's buying them. So if I'm sitting on a dump of, of creds and no one's buying them, why would I go get more creds? It's not, it's not a business, right? It's like me taking my little red wagon to market full of creds and I walk around and no one's buying them. Why the hell would I go back to my home, go rummaging through my garage and look for more creds? They don't have any value right now, okay? Zombie bit by Eric Taylor. Researcher Roots Tractors. At the DEF CON Security Conference, a security researcher known as SickCodes presented a new jailbreak for John Deere tractors, providing root access to the widely deployed... Hold on one second. This is like, come on, Wired. Really? Like, th this is the most... <laughs> this is the most egregious, like, splash page. Like, it's so... It's so oh, oh, my God. It's so annoying. And then I, I was trying to do this, and it's like... It's in a different um, window, so now I may have just screwed up the podcast story. So I got to find a different story for us so we can actually look at the title together. Oh my god! Do you guys remember the '90s when like pop-ups were all up in your face? I feel like what's old is new again. And 4240 tractors. This jailbreak requires physical access to the tractor and can't be performed remotely. Sick Code said he's unsure John Deere can patch this approach without implementing full disk encryption which likely cannot be done on existing tractors. Tractor software access has been a persistent issue with these essential pieces of farming equipment often ground zero for right to repair issues. And now thanks to this week's- Okay, <laughs> can you guys see this? Can you guys see this? Okay, hold on really quick. All right, so check this out. There's, there's two stories here. One is um, very important that you won't ever read in a textbook or anything, but once you know, now you know, right? Like you're, you're kind of read into the, to the cyber group uh, game. First of all, John Deere, like Apple, um, Apple iPhone and stuff like that, they run, and, and by the way, this happens in healthcare all the time. We see this with like Siemens and Philips and GE healthcare and stuff like that. A lot of these like really complicated systems, including the John Deere tractor, have a refusal to repair clause in their purchase agreement, right? So I go buy this 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 John Deere tractor, right? This John Deere tractor cost $250,000, but obviously I run a farm, super, super important that I, I own this piece of equipment. The equipment breaks down and it's a $5 part to fix, right? John Deere says, I'm not allowed to fix it. The second I open that sucker up, I've, I've violated my warranty. And then next week, there's like a major problem. John Deere's going to be like, well, the major problem probably, probably happened. The major problem with the transmission probably happened because you changed a LED bulb, um, you know, in a, in a brake light, which you and I both know is complete horse crap, but they, they say you violated the warranty, right? So what ends up happening is what's your option? Your option is to pay John Deere to come and service your tractor, which by the way, that's a uh, cash money, homie. Great cash, homie. Right. So that's the, that's the major pushback, and that's why we see these like little iPhone repair stores popping up in mall kiosks and stuff like that. It's because the vendor wants to charge an absorbent amount or some type of annual maintenance contract that's wicked, wicked expensive, right? 
or uh, and, but you can't violate the warranty. And again, you see this in healthcare all the time. Dude, the real money in healthcare is being on the vendor side and, su- and selling those annual maintenance contracts. Like, I feel like a stiff for have worked on the on the uh, corporate side of uh, in medical, uh, having a program, <laughs> uh, but then having to engage with the OT people. Anyways, long story short, that's the problem with right to repair, and that's why people are hacking these John Deere tractors. Uh, and it's actually going through a lot of litigation right now. I think. There's been a, a win recently. Uh, people in ch- in chat might know this. There's been a win recently for right to repair. Um, uh, anyways, anyways, there's a whole market there. There really should be a right to repair, or even have people get John Deere certified. And you know what I mean. So like, now here's the other thing. This is the fun one. This is the one that you need to know about. Okay, right now in in industry, <clears throat> Doom Doom was a game by I believe ID Software. Uh, it was like the precursor to Quake, but it was the successor to Wolfenstein 3D. It was a fun game. It was like a first-person shooter, one of the original ones that hit mainstream. There's uh, documentaries out there on it. It's wicked, wicked awesome. Um, and <clears throat> sorry, mod chat got me distracted. Um, it got it. it um, it, it's it's awesome. Okay. Now here's the thing. It is considered um, like. I don't know. It's considered like a like a, a fresh kill, right? It's considered like a fresh kill or like a, a like a skin, if you will, to run Doom on something. Okay, like if you go if you Google like Doom on Apple um, Touch Bar, that's another good one. Like you like you know the Apple laptop that that function in the in like in front of the keyboard that has like a little um, dynamic uh, hot press button that'll change. It's like the dumbest feature that nobody asked for, but it's a screen and it changes dynamically. People have run doom on that. People have run doom on like, obviously on mobile phones and stuff like that, but like running doom on something is considered complete ponage, right? Like if you can run doom on it, you are like, it's a point of pride. If I did it on something, I sure as crap would put it on my resume. It's awesome. And this dude is running Doom on the tractor. And by the way, he went one step further and added a um, he added a uh, mod where it's not running around uh, Mars where Doom typically takes place. He's actually running around a farm and he's running over monsters from Mars and also cows and stuff like zombie cows and stuff like that. So um, kudos to Sick Codes or whoever whoever the um, Whoever the researcher was that did this, but this is this is a great piece of work right here. This is great. So just know about running Doom on stuff. If you see running Doom on something, or if you're a security researcher and you want to make a big splash, break something someone hasn't broken yet and then run Doom on it. All right, let's take a minute and say thank you to the sponsors and let me share a little bit uh, with you. Sponsor, Six Clicks. Protect your supply chain from third-party risk with the power of Six Clicks. Organizations can better manage their vendor risk by automating the vendor assessment lifecycle and detecting vendor assessment findings. Users can identify and raise risk linked to vendors post-assessment and group them into risk registers. Then manage, remediate, and report on risk directly from SixClicks. For more information, visit SixClicks.com slash CISO series. All right, so let's just take a minute and uh, share a little bit of love with you guys. Yesterday, I was coming in wicked hot after a rough travel day. I didn't have anything lined up as far as like, hey, let me share these interesting things with you. So let me just take a minute and share this with you. Guys, a couple things. One, this is really fun. Uh, Tomorrow at 1130, 
Uh, it, it is Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday's at 1130. I typically play red versus blue threat gens, red versus blue live against another opponent. Usually, um, I've lost Eric. I've defeated Matt Lee. They are actually playing heads up tomorrow, and I will be shoutcasting with Clint. So I get to sit in the analyst chair and critically analyze uh, decisions for good or bad. It's going to be wicked awesome. It will be one of those ones where Eric's streaming on his channel and Matt is streaming on his, and then Clint and I will be on the Threat Gen channel. So I hope you um, are, you know, stop by and join us if you are interested. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm looking forward to it. You can get more information on that if you do exclamation point Threat Gen. That should take you to the Threat Gen YouTube channel where you can see where this is, uh, and then you can, you know, be notified. Also, I didn't tell anyone this because I was still firming it up. This Thursday, we're back to Thursday Simply Cyber Live. So I do a live guest interview every Thursday, except when I'm in Black Hat because, you know, reasons. Uh, this week is a little less technical, but it's totally on brand for marketing. I mean, it is marketing, but it's totally on brand for cyber. So this is Virginia Case. Uh, I've worked with Virginia for a little bit. We actually had a nice meeting in, um, in Vegas. Uh, really, really appreciate what she does. So here's the deal with her. She's a marketing expert. So Jerry, why would you bring a marketing expert on to Simply Cyber? Here's the deal. When we're marketing, we're like, there's two reasons that we as InfoSec pros would want marketing. One, for selling ourselves, right? For getting a job, right? That's all, dude, a resume is basically like the sticker on the window at a car. You are trying to sell yourself as an asset to an organization. You want them to give you $100,000 a year plus Benny's or whatever for your services, right? So you're marketing yourself in those instances. Also, if you're a little bit further along, right? And you don't want to go ham like Eric Taylor and start your own company, but you got skills, you got chops, but you like, you like the protection and safety of a corporate job, but you still got skills. You can have a side hustle. You can do side consulting. You can do side advising. And literally I do it. Lots of people do it. Lots and lots and lots and lots of people in the industry will stand up beside LLC and when they get engaged for, hey, what do you think about this? Or can you come over and help me with that? You say, yeah, no problem. It'll just run through my company. It's not, it sounds like a big deal. It's not. Setting up a company is not a big deal. And then being able to do a side hustle, make a little extra scratch. It's not a big deal, but it's wicked cool. Uh, and that way you're not just, I mean, it's nice to help people, but if it's a business and they need help and you're helping them, they should pay for those services and they completely understand. So how do you market that as a side hustle? That's something you want to get into. And that's what we're going to be talking into. She's as much as I, here's the thing, as much, however I feel about cybersecurity, that's how Virginia feels about marketing. And she only helps cybersecurity companies and professionals. So she's super niche. Uh, she's super passionate and it's going to be a wicked awesome conversation. So that's this Thursday on stream. I've already mentioned the practical malware analysis, uh, practical ethical hacking course and the GRC course. Hopefully I saw some people drop things in chat. Hopefully you guys got that. I'll do it at the end of the show. I'll actually pull up the flyer so you can see everything, um, but I won't do it now, but just be mindful of that. Okay, let's get back into the news. Next to image engine about to go public. With the emergence of Dolly 2 and other text-to-image engines, we've heard about security and privacy implications inherent with this technology. Many of these systems are capable of photorealistic output, but the real-world consequences are fairly limited given the access to the tech has been put behind paywalls for researchers and select organizations. However, the startup Stability AI released a Dolly 2-like text-to-image AI system called Stable Diffusion to just over a 1,000 AI researchers with plans for a full public launch in the coming weeks. 
The engine can run on consumer GPUs with about 5 gigabytes of VRAM, producing a 512 by 512 pixel image. Stable Diffusion will be available both as a cloud service with tunable filters, as well as a local model with generated content able to be used for commercial purposes. The company plans to offer private models to paying customers and release tools for creating custom and fine-tuned models. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, here's the deal with this one. I've been <clears throat> I've been seeing this on um, I don't want to say on chat, but like I've seen this th like throughout Twitter recently. Hold on one second. Okay, you see these pictures right here? <clears throat> I know it's tough to see. There, <clears throat> God damn it! Listen, there is um, technology out there. It's it's AI in some sort that you can you can tell it like a topic, right? And it will do its own like kind of research or whatever, and then it will draw a picture. And these pictures are amazing, right? Maybe you guys have seen it. I didn't know it was called the doll E D A L L E. I didn't know that's what it was called, but we're seeing it all. Like you'll see all sorts of like splashy Twitter posts, like "Is this the end of graphic artists?" or "Is artists are artists going to die?" Like is the whole industry of art artists going to die? Because these these robots or robots, this AI is actually generating. It's not like it said like, um, you know, draw me a panda on Mars with the sun in the background or a bear. It'll say something like, you know, draw like space traveling, space traveling bears or something like that. And then it comes up with all this and these pictures look sick, right? Um, <clears throat> very, very interesting. Okay. Now let's just push that aside. The dolly, as they said in the story, has filters on it to keep it from doing really, really disturbing photos, right? I mean, you can imagine a, a, the computer doesn't have any emotion. It doesn't understand the emotional impact of say, like, you know, a, a like a Holocaust uh, graphic or something like that. It doesn't know. It'll just take information, do a little bit of research and then produce something. So you can imagine quite quickly that it could, it could develop some very disturbing, some very, very um, just upsetting art right? So, or public figures as, as we're going to focus in on. So they have filters on it, but like everything else, and this becomes one of those um, arguments of like, why are you like filtering, like free speech, all this other stuff? Um, they have released another version or someone else has released another version that does not have the filters on. And you can see this is uh, President Obama being generated. Uh, now you can obviously see this uh, looks a little cartoon not cartoony but like you could tell a little bit that it's a doctored photo but guys um as much as we talk about deep fakes and how i think deep fakes is going to be used to kind of influence some election of some sort um it does not it doesn't seem completely impractical like i'm i'm you know just shooting from the hip here but like it wouldn't be impractical if this gets a little bit more refined to have a photo generated that looks like it's a surveillance photo that has a picture of you and someone else <clears throat> right um okay like how about how about um infidelity right oh so there's a picture of you and a picture uh or a prick a picture of president obama and um i don't know madonna in some kind of compromising situation and then they send it to obama and they're like we're gonna send this to michelle obama unless you give us a million dollars or whatever right like just that's just a uh like a buckshot from the hip example but you guys can see where this could be used uh in a in a weaponized way to influence and and spread misinformation right i mean you could even like russia ukraine war like you could you could you know 
put people with certain flags on their shoulders doing something horrible, like war crimes and stuff like that. <clears throat> it's not good. It's not good. But uh, having said all that, like I said, it, it is really, really crazy looking at the um, the photo and art that is coming out of this. But it's it's evolving quite quickly. China publishes algorithm register. The Cyberspace Administration of China published a list of 30 algorithms used by many of the country's most popular apps, including Taobao, WeChat, MeTuan, and ByteDance's Doyin. This gives each algorithm a classification number and a brief description. In March, China passed new regulations requiring algorithm recommendation services to disclose algorithms used in apps. The organizations were required to submit details on the algorithms to the regulator. The descriptions don't provide any technical details on how the algorithm works, it provides high-level overviews of their intended functions. All right. Gamerida. <clears throat> All right. Um, I can't help but be, like, cynical about this. But, okay. So here's the thing. China is requiring the algorithm of encryption, encryption algorithms that are being used by Chinese products to be submitted, you know, I guess for an inventory uh, in China. My initial thought, because China does kind of operate as an like with an authoritative regime and they, they like to control things. My first thought is, hey, they want access to all this so then they can reverse it or, you know, whatever. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of that, but they said they didn't include uh, technical details, which may or may not be true. Here's my, <clears throat> here's my thought. Um, it's, well, this, this, is, this is for, this is more big picture, not about China, because this to me, I, I can't do much with this story. Uh, from an Intel perspective, because, you know, basically it's just China sucking up more information from the tech companies that operate in China. Um, but it's important to note when it comes to encryption algorithms, okay, this is like, <laughs> this is like crypto 101, but it's important if you don't know, okay, when it comes to encryption algorithms, right, it's not the algorithm that matters. You can like, in fact, a public, a public um, open source algorithm is better than a closed source one. I'll tell you why in a second. What you need to understand is it's not the algorithm that needs to be protected. It's the key. The key is literally the key to everything. All right. So real quick, as an example, right now, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology is going through this like, uh, it's not a contest, but it's effectively a contest for what the next quantum um encryption algorithm is going to be. They've got it narrowed down to three, I believe. These are being evaluated. These are being tested. These are being scrutinized openly and publicly by researchers who understand advanced math and crypto, okay? And eventually, they're going to select one, and this becomes the standard. The fact that it's open source, why is it better to be open source? It's better because it gets scrutinized. It gets heavily analyzed. Closed source or private encryption algorithms, they're usually not secure. The person who developed them or the group that developed them, they feel it's wicked secure, but they always get popped, okay? So again, the algorithm can be fully known, even the technical details, right? If it goes through like a battery of evaluations. And that's why AES, Advanced Encryption Standard, right now in the United States is considered, AES-256 is considered secure because a million years ago, like 25 years ago, um, there were a bunch of candidates that went through and got analyzed. I believe AES was called Raindoll, which you'll only see on like a CISSP exam, but it was called Raindoll 
And, you know, we talk about blowfish, two fish, all these things. Raindoll is the one that ended up winning and it was, it became, you know, AES 256. So just know that with encryption and crypto and everything like that, the algorithms are known. It's the key that you need to protect. Okay. All right. And continues to hammer Ukraine with cyber attacks. A new report from security researchers at Symantec document the most recent efforts by the Russian threat group believed to be part of Russia's FSB intelligence agency. The group continues to target Ukraine in attacks, something that's done as far back as 2014, long predating current conflicts. Its most recent wave of attacks came from July 15th through August 8th. Attack vectors include phishing messages with self-extracting zip files that fetch XML files and eventually executes a PowerShell info stealer. The group was also observed using VBS downloaders to install a backdoor, letting the attackers turn on attached mics, log keystrokes, take screenshots, and more. The most recent attack saw the group attempting to modify Microsoft's Word default template, which could lace all created documents with malicious code. Yep. Okay. So, okay. So Russia's FSB group, they are, you know, kind of the intel agency, as far as I can tell from Russia. This, when it says Russian hackers, this is actually nation state level threat actors, uh, very sophisticated, very well funded, very intelligent, targeting Ukraine, obviously. No big deal. They are, when I say no big deal, I mean like nothing new. They've been doing this for years, not just since the actual conflict broke out. This is like, this is standard operating procedure. Now, they did mention that they're doing things like phishing <clears throat> and it has a state, you know, staged payloads uh, that they kind of mentioned in the story where like something executes initially and then it'll either generate a PowerShell file and then run. A, a lot of malware, it, like the initial infection is kind of lightweight. It's not like when you detonate malware, it's like this big fat piece of malware. It's typically something small and it'll build a new piece of malware right on disk and then execute that or it'll it'll execute some type of PowerShell uh, and it'll pull down from a C2 server infrastructure the actual malware that it wants to detonate because now it's running on your machine. Uh, what they talk about here, this is pretty cool um, from a, you know, a like from a, an academic perspective, this is very cool. So... Microsoft Word has the ability to do templates, which is great if you're a, you know, a big company and you want standards, like the logo's already got to, always got to be there. We've always got to have this look and feel, this font, et cetera, et cetera. That's a good reason for templates. Every time I've ever used a template, it's been an incredible pain in the butt. Like it feels like Microsoft like rolled out templates and then like basically the lead dev quit like two weeks into the project of a four-week project. So it's like half-baked. Um, I've never really had templates work well. It's always super annoying to me. Uh, things break, et cetera. But the important thing is with templates, you can have things baked in already. So no matter what you open, if it's a new file, if it's an existing file, et cetera, that template will have that code in there, which they're saying uh, will ultimately lead to info stealers. Okay, so info stealer, as the name would sound, basically sucks up and siphons off tokens, cookies, credentials, wallets, crypto wallets, if you got those floating around, um, it's not good. Okay. Info stealers are not good. If you're interested in learning more about info stealers, check out Redline Info Stealer. That's quite of a popular one right now with nice feature set, very functional, uh, very in vogue. It's, it's like the fall 2022 line. You know what I mean? It's very couture. Uh, I'm just joking. Like Redline Info Stealer has been around for like a year, but still it's a good example. You can check it out. Um, I mean, as far as making this actionable, I mean, just be mindful, guys. Like, you shouldn't... 
end user, I don't know if you can change permissions to stop uh, templates from being updated because you know that is kind of an end user thing, right? Like if you're if you're working in a department, you're trying to develop some type of standards, uh, but you should be mindful about running macros, um, allowing code to execute out of out of Word. We do see. I don't know with this template. I don't know. It said VBA, which is like, like kind of the scripting language of. Um, Microsoft Office documentation. You should be able to use GPOs or some type of configuration to prevent um, VBA code from executing and running. Uh, you should be able to see it running if you have a decent EDR solution running on the endpoint. Um, they are attacking Ukraine. This is one of those ones where like, if you're in the United States, it's unlikely that this is going to spill over and hit us. But I talk about it, not all the time, but often enough, that in a digital battlefield, right? Like geo, geo distance makes no difference. So it is possible that this accidentally breaks containment and spreads um, and gets into other things. Um, you know, it's, it just takes one person forwarding a file with the documentation. I mean, with the, with the compromised uh, Word document uh, out of their organization and now it spreads. Again, I don't know what the spreading mechanisms are with this thing. Some malware, I'll say this and then move on. Some malware will actually look at things like what's the keyboard's uh, language in, and if it's not in like Cyrillic, it'll it'll kill itself, right? That there, there's certain techniques that malware authors will write in order to help contain it to only the intended victim, the only intended target, right? It'll look at time zone. If it's not in whatever time zone GMT, then it won't detonate. Like again, we see this often with malware that like it looks before it executes to see if it's being analyzed, right? Is it in a sandbox? It, you know, is it being, are there certain process, is Procmon running in processes, et cetera, and then it won't detonate. This is an anti-analysis technique used by malware authors, but they can also use the same functional mechanisms to help contain the malware from breaking um, its intended scope of target. And you want to contain it from breaking scope of target because if you, if you blow it out, right, if you just go, go ham and shoot it everywhere, um, it's going to get detected. It's going to get analyzed. It's going to get reported like this much more quickly. And in the world of espionage, um, slow and quiet and smooth is much more preferred over YOLO and, you know, like getting front page news. And now your You Should Have Patched Tuesday update, Patrick Wardle edition. Ooh. Zoom released a patch for a get root elevation of privilege bug in Zoom for Mac. Security researcher Patrick Wardle detailed the bug at DEF CON. It was a big conference for Wardle, who also demonstrated an injection flaw with how macOS handles software updates that could allow an attacker to have complete file access. He reported it to Apple as part of its bug bounty. Apple released patches for it in April and October 2021 to resolve the issues. All right, guys. I've said it on chat, but if you're new here, you don't know it, But so I'll repeat it, and it's definitely worth mentioning. Patrick Wardle is awesome. He is one of, he, Not only is he one of my three favorite presenters. He might actually be my number one favorite presenter, lecturer. He is a former NSA, Apple product specialist, security researcher. He legit does awesome work. And he, he's like, he lives in Hawaii. So he's got like a uh, surfer vibes to him. Uh, he's very, very approachable, very, very cool dude. Um, and he always does talks at DEF CON and Black Hat. If, if, I, I encourage you to go pull one of his talks and watch like the way he delivers. He was definitely trained uh, in government in order in, in, in definitely a military capacity. He was definitely trained to deliver threat intel 
in a very succinct and valuable way. It's his cadence is awesome. What he says is awesome. Love what this guy's doing. Um, he always presents great research. Uh, so definitely check this out. Um, whatever. So if you're running, by the way, if you're running Zoom, if you're running Mac OS, right, and you're running Zoom, definitely patch it up, right? If if Patrick found it, uh, there's really good information out there on it now. Uh, so definitely patch your stuff. I do want to point out. Uh, I I do want to point out that. Um, my buddy went to Patrick gave two talks apparently, and uh, my buddy went to the other one. I had breakfast with my friend on uh, Saturday morning, and he told me that uh, so basically Patrick writes code and makes it available for free on his website. I think his website's Objective C S E E or S E A. Um, you'll, you'll recognize it. He's got like an apple cartoon apple with a worm in it. Uh, anyways, he writes custom code all the time, uh, makes it available for free, and he actually discovered. Um, cause guys, when you write code, right? Like sometimes you have certain styles. This is why like professors in, in computer science programs can tell if you're cheating. Uh, like, yeah, the code compiles and runs the same way, but there's certain, you can get to the solution many, many ways. And sometimes there's like fingerprints all over it. Anyways, uh, Patrick has certain fingerprints that are his, um, in his code. And he actually discovered his code in several, he didn't name them, but several you know, Fortune 500 enterprise security companies product suite. And he was like, what the hell? So he found this. He actually ended up engaging those businesses. I don't know if he got lawyers involved or whatever, uh, but, you know, basically make a good product. He was upset. He was upset and he should be. They stole his intellectual property. Uh, so I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Patrick and let him know that I am trying to get Patrick on the show. He's very, very approachable at conferences, but. Uh, over email, I sent him a couple notes. He's probably getting on blast from everybody because he is pretty well known in the community. Um, so he never replied to me, but I am trying to get him on. I am trying to get him on. I've had John Strand, Chris Rock, and Patrick Wardle would be the third of my top three presenters. So it'd be cool for Simply Cyber to get get all three of them and kind of uh, complete the bingo card, if you will. We're just about done with today's cybersecurity headlines, but... It's Wardle, W-A-R-D-L-E, Patrick Wardle here. So that's 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 all the news. So let me let me pull this up really quick. Uh yeah, this is this is him. This is him. This is his website. Uh I'll put it in chat. Chat, 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 chat. There we go. I just dropped it in chat. It's gonna go to looks like Discord and YouTube, LinkedIn people. Unfortunately, you don't get it. Um, yeah, this is Patrick right here. Here's his tools section. These are all his free Mac tools. This is awesome. Guys, this guy, not only is he a great speaker, but he's like such a great community uh, member, right? He's got his blogs here. This is from June 13th, 2022, May. He does, you know, he does post stuff pretty regularly. This is his logo. You'll see this on all his uh, conference talks. I'm pretty sure he he did have something. He got bought. His company got bought by Jamf. He worked for Jamf for a bit, uh, golden handcuff style, I would assume. And then he, um, I think he's just doing a nonprofit stuff now. So definitely check out all that, um, guys. Let me see if I can pull this up really quickly um, on stream. Give me one hot minute. Um, let me see. Let me get rid of this. Um, 
Do, 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 do. Let me see if Heath. Yeah. So this is that link. This is what I was talking about, guys. Um, here, maybe I could put this in chat. All right, so I'll put this in chat. This is a link to um, Heath Adams' post right here. I know it's hard to see. This is where he's saying, like, okay, like, practical malware analysis is is a dollar. PEH is a dollar. The code is dollar in a dream. This is his post. Um, obviously, you can't see it because uh, this is his post. But if you go to simplycyber.teachable.com and you put in that same coupon code dollar in a dream you'll get the grc analyst masterclass offer dollar um so guys like you can you can like load up a semester worth of content for like three bucks <laughs> it's awesome it's so awesome um so give that a shot let me say uh what's up to everybody so that that is the news if you got a boogie out of here absolutely understand thank you for being here i do want to spend a couple minutes just uh looking at chat saying hi to everybody i do really really enjoy um talking with everyone and it's it's just been it's just been busy um much love bsec oh <clears throat> guys so here's here's an update so some of you know that I'm, I'm actively working like one of my active projects that I'm putting time and effort into right now is this weekly email um, that's going to blast out. Now, here's the current state of it, and I need your help with it. Here's the current state. I'm going to send it out Monday morning, right? You can sign up at simplycyber.io. If you scroll down a little bit, there'll be like a, um, a, a, a thing a, a, like a, where you put in your name and stuff. I think also if you go to um, here, let me see really quickly. You, I think... This is probably not easier, but mods. This might be something that we could do a um, a a, uh, a quick um, like ex, like a mod, um, a bot. Yeah. So I, I just created this yesterday, basically. If you go to pages.simplycyber.io/news, here I'll put this in chat as well. Uh, here's the deal, guys. On Monday morning, you'll get an email once a week from me. It's going to have at least three, maybe a couple more, but at least three. And the idea is it's a, a new story that is actionable for you, okay? One will be for end users, one will be for peers, one will be for executives. So the idea is that you get the email and it's like, hey guys, last week we talked about a bunch of great stuff, but here are three actionable things. And I think the example I used in, in the template that I sent over to a couple people was like... Um, for end users, like there, there was like let's just say that there's some um, th like this Microsoft Word template one is not a good example, but it will be for this case. Like, okay, uh, Microsoft Word templates. So make sure, hey, just make sure if someone sends you a Word template that you don't execute it or whatever. Like, actually, that's a terrible one, but basically, it'll be something that we talked about the week before that you can turn around and I'll tell you exactly how you can help your end users with that knowledge. Plus I'll give you a link directly to the time stamped mark in the video that day when I talked about it. So you could watch that like 45 second clip if you wanted a little bit more intel on it. Then for peers, like I think the um, that open uh, framework around threat intelligence sharing for detection rules, that was my one. So like, hey, you know, if you're talking to someone at the water cooler or online or whatever, or you're at a conference or whatever, like this is a really good thing to share because X, Y, and Z. And then, hey, here's a story that you can bring to your executives. Say you have your weekly meeting with your leadership team or something like that. Here's one that you can use either A, to make them more aware or B, to get more budget, right? Like these are actionable things and I'll tell you why it's actionable and what your action is. You could take it or leave it. 
but I think that there's real value in this newsletter, okay? So I'm working through beta. The reason I asked for help is if you go on ch uh, Discord server, exclamation point Discord and chat right now, I think under the main um, chat SC, right? So in the, in the Simply Cyber main chat section, I've actually requested ideas for the name of the email blast because I, I want to have like a catchy kind of name. So like we're always talking about the same thing. BSEC offered up like Intel briefing by Simply Cyber. Um, some people came up with like fun acronyms and stuff like that. Whatever we're going to call it, I want it to be very clear because here's the idea. I believe that this is going to have wicked value, like really good value. Um, my Boston people know what I'm saying when I say wicked value. Okay. This is going to have wicked value. And my idea is that when someone hears about it, I want the name to be crystal clear on what it is that we're doing. That way they, they're not confused. The same way that the Daily Cyber Threat Brief used to be called First Things First, I had to change the name because people didn't know what First Things First meant when, when they heard about it. And I totally get that, which is why now it's called Daily Cyber Threat Brief. It is <laughs> crystal clear what we're doing here every morning. It's daily, it's cyber, it's threat, it's briefing. Right, I know it's not super super interesting, but um, but it is what it is. I'm hoping to share a. If you're interested, come on the the Discord server. I'm hoping to share a draft version with the community to solicit feedback. I'm doing this for value for all of you and for our community. So I don't. It's not like oh, this is my child and like it, I will decide how it looks. I don't care. I want this to be as valuable as possible. So please help me um, make this thing. Okay, cool. So that's the deal with that. If you have any questions, let me know. Yeah, Wicked is good. Um, let's see. Strong Matt Damon energy. Yeah. Hey, my boy thinks you're Wicked smart. Yeah. I will tell you, my accent comes out pretty bad when I am in uh, Massachusetts. Like the second I cross over the border, um, I'm just like, wicked pissa. All right, Ryan Spishaw, good to see you, Nathan Bolin. Hey there, Jim Lund. It was good running into you, man, um, in Vegas. Hey, Jared Pierpoint. Yeah, no problem. You are welcome. You are welcome, sir. James McQuiggan, my man. James McCookin taking number four spot. Yeah, I, I do love James. Good to see you. Safe travel. Got home. Hey, Michael Fink. Good to see you, man. Travel wasn't too bad. Um. Yep, yep. Shot in New York City. Yeah, I mean, I didn't plan on doing the dollar in a dream. It's just I, I saw Matt do it. I bought it. I saw Heath do it. And I was like, you know what? This is awesome. Like, let's let's lean into this. Let's let's make this a thing. I, I tried. Mess I messaged Heath. He didn't respond. Uh, he's obviously either not looking or not or too busy or whatever, because Heath and I do talk. Um, and I said, I'm going to do this. Hopefully it doesn't piss you off, but I don't see why it would. Yep, my pleasure, my pleasure, guys. All right, so it's a couple minutes after 9 o'clock. That's going to do it for this morning's threat briefing. I hope you got value out of this. Obviously, hit the like and subs and all that stuff. But more importantly, I, I don't even, like, those are vanity metrics for me. They help people learn about the show if they're, like, uh, browsing on YouTube. But realistically, this is a niche thing, right? You're only here if you're interested in this. This isn't like entertainment. This, I mean, there is some entertaining value, but this is, this is education. This is knowledge. This is actionable intel. Um, so what I would say is if you talk to someone who might get value out of that, share that you do the daily cyber threat briefing, right? Let them find, let them come over here. Every day I'm seeing new people in chat say, hey, this is my first day. Love it. Thanks so much. Those are the people I want. Uh, to reach out to and find out about these things. Okay, guys? So tomorrow, 8 a.m., 
Eastern Standard Time. We'll be back with the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. Thank you all very much. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you out there.